So when they had solemnly testified and spoken of the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem, and they were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So Philip got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Well, Philip ran up, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how could I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage the eunuch was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth in in humiliation. His judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road and they came to some water, um, the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, and you may, uh, you may. And he answered, and I said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip... Philip found himself at Azadus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. It's a mystery. It's a mystery how the Spirit moves. As one song has it, um, I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the Word, creating faith in Him. But I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We're talking about the Spirit working in the heart of a corrupted man, in the heart of an unbeliever, and a man who, who's foolish, a man who doesn't have faith, a man who's in the kingdom of darkness. How does the Spirit of God work? And what's he doing on earth, for heaven's sake? Well, I mean, for heaven's sake, for people's sake. But so what, we, what we're into is we're going to look at this theme of, of watching God at work among people, and we want to be uh, witnesses and sing this song and say this song. We want to go tell it on the mountain. As Isaiah says, You who bring good news to Zion, go up to a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, uh, 
Lift up your voices with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. And say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. As we move into this message today, I want to take some time and I want to give you a couple of things that's going to make you think about things today. And you're going to go home and I want you to think about you being the one who's lifting up the voice, lifting up the message of Christ. And what I want to do is this. I want you to understand our, our mission here coming from the book of Acts 8. I want you to get a snapshot of what's going on there because what he is doing there is what he does today. I want you to feel that. I want you to see that. I saw that at the funeral. People came up to me and they said, I don't know about this forgiveness. I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. But I want to talk about the Spirit of God working in your individual lifetime, your story, your life. But the Spirit of God is doing something, can do something if you understand how he works. And then third, we're going to look, about, look at how the heart responds. But the idea that God is speaking in the universe as David would say, that the heavens declare the glory of God and their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And you hear all creation testifying of the glory of God. The heavens has pitched a tent for the sun. There's a place for those stars. There's a place for you in the cosmos under that tent where you belong and where you have a same witness. And that witness is right here. And that voice goes out from this place as we are in this house of God so that our words go to the ends of the city here and beyond. Now let me give you some missionary training. It's legitimate missionary training coming from a man named Dr. Ralph Winder from the Center of of World Mission. And Dr. Winter came up with this thing called the E-scale to help people understand how God is at work. And what he says, he bases it on Acts 1.8, that you shall receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria, in Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. You've heard that passage. Well, the E-scale that Dr. Winter, as I heard him in Wheaton College in 1976, it imprinted me, and I want to give this to you as well. He talked about there are the E scale of E0, 1, 2, and 3. And what this means is this, and listen to this, because E0 are you. Uh, we are, this is the in-house group. This is the home, the family, the church where we are. This is the people that we know who are church friendly, who are open to our way of thinking, our way of life. But we are uh, like minded in so many ways. There are people in the church who may not be Christians, who may not understand the gospel, who don't know grace, who don't know faith, but they're here in the church because they were conditioned as Americans to go to church. And that's why a lot of people who are in church, there are many people who are alive in Christ and other people are just civil religion people who are just, that's what they do. If you go down south, you go to the Bible Belt, how do you pick up a girl? You go to church. And uh, it's the culture. And so that E0 culture, uh, you may be there because your mom and dad brought you to church. But you have been conditioned in so many ways to understand. And you may have a basic understanding of prayer, the word. You're familiar with the language. But that's the E0 
But then there's the E1 circle. And you notice as you move away from this Christian community, the E1 are those who've never entered into the church. They're part of the greater culture of the community or country where the church resides. Now this could be in any place around the world, in Russia, in Cuba, in Argentina. But the E1, uh, these are the people you work with and live by, but they don't go to church. They don't read the Christian books. They don't see the Christian movies. They don't sing the Christian songs. They don't know what you know, and they don't want to know because they're outside of that culture. They may go to a funeral or a wedding occasionally, once every so often, but for the most part, these folks are foreigners. They're not in-house I don't want to say they're outhouse, but they're just, they're outside. But then the E2 culture, now notice the overlap of these circles. The E2 culture are those who come from similar but different cultures. You have not just the religious culture, but now you've got cultural differences. America and Canada, Canada is, a, 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 they, they have a very similar culture as we do, but if you go to Quebec and you speak French, there's a difference in the culture, but, they, they, uh, but there are some different worldview cultural differences. They speak another language, but they have a different worldview. If you go to England, and if you go to New Zealand, they speak English, but it's a really entirely different worldview. Similar but different, but they come from a, a different thing, but the idea is that church is still foreign to them. And then you go to the last one, E3. Now notice the E3 is completely separate from uh, E2, 1, or 0, and they come uh, radically different. There are some similarities, but there are significant challenges to go into the far corner of the world. They may speak another language, but they radically think of a different mindset, different values, different philosophies, a different religious background, and they really may find our religion to be offensive and threatening. And therefore, Dr. Winters would talk about this scale in the sense that you see church in culture but you have church of the same culture, a different culture, and a very different culture, just to put it in the scale. Now, for us, when you, is this, the Chesterland Baptist culture, when you talk to people, our goal is not to invite people back into the church. We don't want to have a, a people just like us who are comfortable with us because we, we like our church, the goal is not to bring people into our church. The goal is to bring people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then to help them grow in their story and their understanding and how they respond in faith and hope and love. And how the Spirit of God restores each and every one, wherever they are, in any part of the cosmos. To help them share their story with the world that they live in. And therefore, make sure you understand that our goal is not to build the church. Our goal is to build the kingdom. 
And therefore, that kingdom focus is what this book of Acts is all about. That this message of the kingdom, that when God's going to be spreading out this message, he's already started it in Jerusalem, in Judea, and as he's moving out into the book of Acts, he's gone into uh, the cities of Samaria. And the Samaritans, as you'll see here, you're moving uh, Jerusalem is here, Judea and the Samarias, the Philistine, the Palestinian area. And you'll see Philip and, and the messages were going all the way around. When Peter and John came down from Jerusalem, they, they, they came to the Samaritans and they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The Samaritans are enemies. We don't like those guys and they get the Holy Spirit. And so when Peter and John went over and confirmed that, then they're on the way back to Jerusalem. Philip, on the other hand, while he's moving back to Jerusalem, gets called and says that these Samaritans, this work is, is on the move. And the Samaritans become Christians. And, and throughout, throughout the city, uh, throughout the Samaritans, it says in Acts eight fourteen to 25, uh, they pray that the new Samaritan believers would be filled with the Spirit because the Spirit is given to all the earth. That's what's happening. So when they went back, they, they had solemnly testified and spoken the word, the gospel of the Lord. They started back to Jerusalem, and they were preaching. I mean, you couldn't stop these guys. They were excited. What motivated these men and women? We don't have the full, complete picture. But here you have, they were going to the Samaritans. Now, think about this. If you're in Jerusalem and you're going down to Gaza, there's nothing out there in this road to Gaza. It's a desert road, as Luke said. But imagine walking an hour or 62 miles if you're driving, uh, however long it takes to walk 62 miles, that's the passage that Philip was on. Now, Philip was led by the Spirit to go down to this place, which we'll talk about later, but on the way down, he sees a chariot up ahead, and you know part of the story. The chariot was leaving Jerusalem, going down to Gaza, and he meets this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, I think this is fascinating. Because you don't think about Ethiopian eunuchs, nor do I. Why this story is involved in the book of Luke? Uh, when was the last time you thought about Acts 8? Let me tell you, there's some powerful things here. And I hope I get this done. It says he's an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, a couple of things. Bear with me as I teach on this. He's one, Ethiopian. And two, he's a eunuch. Now, when you think about Ethiopia, you may be thinking about the country of Ethiopia, but you will misunderstand because you don't understand the context. And the context is there were two Ethiopians. Ethiopians. And so, therefore, when you go back in time, you find this northern Ethiopia was around Egypt, Sudan, and, Eth and the lower country of Ethiopia. But this northern the northern part is called the kingdom of Nubia. Now, for those who are in archaeology and you don't know much about archaeology, bear with me because it's important only for historical reasons. Nubia was the source of the Egyptian gold. Nubia was wealthy. It was around the Nile. And therefore, the famous, famous pyramids that you know in Egypt 
We're also built in Nubia. It's, the, it's part of the world that we don't know anything about. It's an E3 culture for us. We don't know anything about their gods or the religion. But the Nubian uh, kingdoms and the dynasties were famous because it was the trade center of the northeastern part of Africa. But gold, golly, they had so much gold. And if you ever seen the, the uh, museum pieces of the Egyptian gold, you would you'd find these pieces all over uh, because they were wealthy in gold. And you'll see it in their art. This was a developed culture back then. But here was an Ethiopian. He was an Ethiopian, and two, he was a eunuch. But he was a eunuch, and I'll talk about being a eunuch in a minute, uh, but this eunuch had risen to power, and he was a leader, and he was wealthy. Because he was a eunuch. Well, you understand that for a man to be a eunuch in that day and age, either you were captive as a soldier and, and mutilated as a, as a prisoner, or as a young boy, you were taken and you were emasculated and, and, and or you were chosen or choose to be a eunuch to forfeit everything that has to do with family to get this position of power. We don't know much about this particular eunuch except this. We know that, that the ways men became eunuchs was there was either a partial or complete. I don't want and, and, and but you have to understand Back then, and, and, and I'm going to say this, and this is a pot of coffee, and we'll have to go into another seminar for this. But you have to understand, in the, the Middle East, the physical, the sexual, the genitalia were representative of something at the very depth of the core of the essence of who we are. In the Jerusalem, in, in the Jewish religion, it was circumcision. In this case, the, the idea of dealing with the emasculation, <clears throat> you have to do with something that's not just physical, it's spiritual. And I don't have time to get into this, but let me just say the sentence and then run. Your sexuality is directly connected with your spirituality. Now that's a pot of coffee. Come to that seminar. But here what you have is this. It's right here. You have an altered altered gender. You have something that's not normal, not, not the way that God intended, and you have a destruction of this man and his sexuality. Therefore, as you get into the scriptures, the scriptures are clear that if you were a eunuch, you were damaged goods. If you were a eunuch, you could not go to the temple. So much so that being a eunuch was considered a curse. Listen to Deuteronomy. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may be entering the assembly of the Lord. No one of a forbidden marriage, or any of his descendants may enter into the assembly of the Lord, even down to the 10th generation. Anything connected with the eunuch was bad news. 
And therefore, these men were chosen in the courts because they weren't threats who would be tempted by the harems or be tempted by the king to, or others to murder a leader. But they had no testosterone. They didn't go through puberty. They were damaged goods. And therefore, they had nothing to live for on a personal level. Therefore, they would find wealth and fame and, and riches as they would get into service. And this is, the way, this is what happened with this one. In other words, he was wealthy. He was not just uh, brought in to be, guard the, the king or the queen, <clears throat> but they were entrusted because they were in servitude. And therefore, this eunuch, he was wealthy, he was educated, and he was a learner because he had given himself to developing all the other things that would compensate for all the things that he didn't get. He wouldn't have a family. He wouldn't have sons and daughters. He wouldn't see his descendants. He wouldn't have a spiritual connection. He was caught as a, as a man employed forever in the system. But he belonged to a queen. In this case, he belonged to the queen of the Ethiopians. Now, here's something I didn't know. It says her name was Candace. If you read something, her name isn't Candace. Candace isn't a name. Candace is a title. And the old, the old Candace Amanishakat and Candace Amaniran, they were the ones who were the warrior queens who built the who built the pyramids, who would fight the war. It was the queen, in this case, not the king, the queen who would be the one in control of the whole government. Candace is a title, much like a pharaoh or Caesar or Herod or emperor or sultan, czar, king or queen or president. And there are two, two you've heard uh, talking about the queen of Sheba. These are powerful women. These were warrior queens. And this eunuch worked for a woman. And so he was elevated. He was educated. He was reliable. He was dedicated. He had everything except one thing. He didn't know God. Whether he was Jewish or Gentile, we don't know, depending on who you read. But he just came back from Jerusalem because he went to the temple. And remember, you can't go into the temple. You can't go into the temple if you were a eunuch. And therefore, as he was coming back, he either got a verse of, 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 the, of the Torah and he was reading Isaiah, but he was a man of power. And he didn't have to walk. He didn't have to ride. He rode chariots through the desert to get through them quickly. You know about chariots because Moses talks about chariots of the Egyptians, Nubians. They, they had, these were powerful people. And God threw, threw the horse and the chariot into the sea. And he says in Deuteronomy, when you go out to battle against your enemies and you see these chariots and you see these horses, you see these people more numerous. These were very powerful kingdoms. Do not be afraid, for the Lord is with you. You see, God is at work among those who are fighting him. And therefore, God is going to save this eunuch. God is going to save the Ethiopians. God is going to save the Egyptians. 
And he saves them the same way as he saves you and me by the Holy Spirit working in the heart of a corrupted person. And therefore he saves the Jew and the unbeliever, the Egyptian, the Ethiopian, and the American the same way. And as he does, uh, the promise nations back to him. In the Old Testament is that when God moves among the nations, he's going to bring the nations back to him. Psalm 68, 31 Envoys will come from Egypt. Ethiopia will submit herself to God. This is a change that's taking place politically, geographically, in the region that Philip was seeing. Now, how does God work? Well, God works in mysterious ways, we know. The king of Assyria will lead away, stripped and barefoot, the Egyptian captives and Ethiopian exiles, young and old, with buttocks bared to Egypt's shame. God goes into shame, defeated, captive people to bring them out. And what he does is he introduces grace. Grace for the captive. This is prevenient grace. If you're a believer, you understand how God works. Before you get the grace of salvation, you get a grace before salvation. And as Tozer would quote, our, th- our theology teaches that the doctrine of grace, prevenient grace, means this, that before a man can seek God, God must seek the man. That's what Jesus said. No one can come to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the third day, on the last day. God, re- God reveals, Jesus redeems, and the Spirit restores by calling believer and unbeliever together. Well, that's what Paul talks about. As Timothy says, he has saved us and he has called us to a holy life. Not because of anything that we have done. It's not because of what we have done. Because it's grace working before what we do. Because of his own purpose and grace. It was given to us, notice, in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So it's not dependent upon what you do. It's a promise that's been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. How did the Ethiopian eunuch get interested in the first place? The Spirit of God was drawing this Ethiopian eunuch to give him grace. He may have been a natural eunuch, but he may have been a a castrated, a forced, but the idea is he had a castrated, his soul had been altered. But God can restore the soul. And therefore, God sent a man named Philip. Now, get this idea, this wealthy leader, powerful man, in a chariot, dressed in gold. And Philip, a no-name, from Jerusalem, Judea, this is E3. This is, he's, he's a different world. He's not noble. He's not rich. He's not pagan. doesn't understand the world. He's not powerful. And he's no name. But Philip was fearless. Philip was available and open. Philip was told, run up to that chariot. And you can see Philip run because he had to catch the Ethiopian reading. If he would have been a minute later or a minute before, he would have missed that point. But here's what Philip heard. 
when he was reading about the sacrificed lamb sitting as he was sitting in that chariot. Notice that the Ethiopian eunuch was caught by this passage. Now notice, the passage of Scripture he was reading was, he was led to sheep as a slaughter, and as a lamb before his chariot, he was silent. He does not open his mouth in humiliation. His judgment, his rights were taken away. Who will relate this to his descendants, to his relationships, to his next generation? He won't have one because his life is removed. Think about this. The Ethiopian eunuch reads about Christ who was forced to undergo the torment and the mutilation by men who tied him up. This lamb that was caught, this sheep didn't have a voice. This sheep didn't resist. This man, this eunuch, this lamb were all abused. Injustice. And the Ethiopian said, this one, whoever this is, is going to go through or has gone through what I've gone through. I wasn't respected. I wasn't regarded. I was forced. I was emasculated. And yet this one, this lamb, lost his rights, was forced to die. His life was terminated. He didn't get married. He didn't have kids. Who is this man? The lamb. This Messiah is. And Philip talked about the lamb. This is the Messiah. Isaiah 53. And that's how the Spirit of God moved Philip into that chariot, opening the Word. And when the Word of God gets into the child of God, the Spirit of God makes him into a man of God. And the Ethiopian believed in Christ because there was an available man, open to follow the Spirit, willing to run up to a man he didn't know anything about and speak the Word of God. And the Ethiopian, remember we're in the desert, sees water. That's a miracle. Let's get baptized. Okay. And when the Ethiopian eunuch went back to Ethiopia, guess who he told? Candace. He told Ethiopia. And for that reason, do you know that the flag of Ethiopia used to have this lion of Judah on the flag? Notice the cross. Notice the crown. Notice the lion. Ethiopia. Is mentioned 40 times in the Bible. Ethiopia is a called people. Ethiopia is 70% Christian, East Eunuch, because of this man, Philip. In 1974, they took off the crown. They took off the cross. And they changed it with a spear. And then they changed it to this current flag, 96. This is a sun and a star that's not so religious. Even the Satan is at work in that country as well. I just want you to know this. That God is at work. E1, E0, 1, 2, or 3. He's working throughout the whole earth. That wherever God sees a man's heart turning, turning to him, God will respond to those who are seeking him. That's the good news. So go tell it on the mountain. Before you say anything, recognize the Spirit of God is already way ahead of you. And he may be calling you. Run up to that chariot. Go down this road. But you've got to be available. 
You've got to be open. You've got to be obedient. And if God gives you an opportunity to share Christ this month during Christmas, oh, may your feet be blessed with good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you that this story, this story is powerful. Thank you that you want us to know, and I just appreciate, Father, that fact that your spirit isn't time-bound, that this message is for all of us. Move us now, we pray, again, for those who haven't heard. Unless they understand, they won't come to faith. Use us for that purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.